Hi everybody, we are super excited that our podcast, the Marshall Focus podcast, has its very first sponsor. So this episode is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios, who will be opening in Hamilton as soon as the, the lockdown eases. The chief artist and owner at the studio is Brian Bell, who has done lots of work for lots of people that I know personally, and it's just the most fantastic artist and two uh, tattooist out there. So Hold True Tattoo Studios are our new sponsors. Uh, you'll find Brian and the studio on Instagram and on Facebook. So go on, have a wee look. And if it's something you're thinking about or you want to do, please get in contact with Brian at Hold True Tattoo Studios. Uh, his work is absolutely fantastic. Mr. Gale. Hello, sir. How you doing? Not bad. How's things? Not bad, not bad. It's my first time on Zoom, so it took me a little while getting in there. That's okay, that's okay. I think we got a wee bit held up with the, the reception and the audio wasn't coming through, but no, that's fine. And the volume and things sounds okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine, sir. You hear me all right, yeah? All right, perfect, perfect. Uh, <laughs> I was making some notes there. Just before you come on, I've, I've mentioned in a couple of the previous podcasts that I don't, uh, I don't want to have questions. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. we, we've known each other for a good while, and I just want it to be a conversation that hopefully people will find interesting. But I thought, how am I going to introduce this podcast? So <laughs> what, what I've noted down here is uh, to tell people a wee bit about yourself, and then obviously you, you can take over. But... Uh, Mr. Stephen Gale, sixth degree black belt, yep. uh, GTF Scotland's technical director, mm -hmm. and the only person ever to score against me in competition with an axe kick, not once, <laughs> not once, but twice, and in two separate matches. So <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know if that's your claim to fame or my claim to fame. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> anything else you would like to add to that? To just give us. No, that's pretty complete, mate. Aye. <laughs> uh, so, how how long have you actually been been studying Taekwondo? Uh, well, Taekwondo I started in 1987. Right. So you're talking about that's 33 years this year. Wow, okay. Um, before that, I, was, I did judo for a while. Right, right. And I did a bit of shot can as well. Um, but I think impetuousness of youth yeah. kind of stopped me for doing those and then into um, Taekwondo. I actually found Taekwondo by accident because I actually wanted to be a ninja. As we all um, did. Uh, that, was, uh, that was my thing. I wanted to be monkey magic, you know. Um, but it, was, it came about an advert in Fighters magazine. Right, okay, aye, yeah. Way back when, there was a little advert in the back and it was the only class in Fife at the time. Right, right. Um, so we were travelling, what, half an hour or so every Monday and Thursday to get to that class. But yeah. Back, back then, you know, people thought Taekwondo was Korean cooking rather than Korean kicking, you know? Oh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because... Uh, 
sometimes you hear stories that people have that was they'd seen maybe a demonstration or something and that's what they always wanted to do i i've sort of told this story before but my dad took me to uh, where, where we originally trained there was two sort of community halls there was a sports barn and a community hall right next to each other right. and uh, in the community hall was a was an actual boxing club and he took me along as a sort of wee five-year-old and uh, i'd actually started crying just when we went in so he took me away <laughs> and then just as we were walking by the sports barn there was people going in in their their white like dobok their white uniform and he said oh we'll get in and see what this is all about and then yeah. Lo and behold, that was it. Sort of. It, oh, fantastic! It took off. It took off for there. Uh, what What's been happening with you then over the last few months with the, the lockdown and stuff? Uh, just been working like crazy. Um, we've, we've no We've no stopped in the in the lockdown. You know, um, I work with adults with learning disabilities. Okay, right. So uh, it's been crazy, crazy busy. Uh, right. Really, really hard going, a lot of work going on. So, not really much time for anything else, unfortunately. I, I do train, I train in the mornings. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I'll get up, go for a run, do some pants and things, but it's not the same, is it? I think we, what, what we've managed to do, uh, luckily, and again, I, I know that everybody's not in the same sort of situation, we've been doing uh, Zoom classes, uh, and the, the, the participation's been excellent. And mm. do you know what? I, I, I keep, I, I'm trying to prevent myself from saying, but it's not the same because, I mean, the enthusiasm that people have had for it's been brilliant. Yeah. But it's not the same. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not being there in the, in the school with your, your students and your fellow instructors and, and just doing what we're, what we're, so, we're so used to, to doing. But again, it's, it's, it's getting us by, it's getting us by at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know a lot of instructors are using the, the, the Zoom calls or they're using like Microsoft Teams or yeah. you know, these other video conferencing. It's fantastic. I think this is where we see technology actually assisting tradition, you know, rather than disabling tradition, it's actually assisting it and it's enabling us to teach our guys and it's enabling people to stay connected like this, you yeah. know. 100%. I think it's fantastic, but like you say, I don't think you can beat that face-to-face, -face, that human contact. Yeah, you know, I, I really miss punching my friend in the face. You know, it's. I, th I was thinking, I was out. Uh, I've got a sort of small, matted sort of home dojang type set up in the back, uh, the mm -hmm. back door, and the punch bag I've got is a freestanding one, and it's no, it's not very, it's not very good to be honest. And I was out doing some kettles and that the other day and had a wee punch at it and it was just dead unsatisfactory. And, and I was thinking to myself, this is like four months since I've actually hit something, like a pad or, or a person. Uh, yeah. And again, we had, uh, I had one of my friends, uh, Stephen Nisbet, who runs the Thai boxing gym that we, we hire for our Saturday morning class. And yeah. he was in the podcast and that's what we were talking about, just how, <laughs> how strange we are. That that's that's something that we that's like a, one of our main enjoyments is is not only hitting but but getting hit. Get hit. <laughs> there has to be some sort of level of sadomasochism, I think, in inside most martial artists that 
You know, there's nothing gets you G'd up more than somebody giving you a good scale. Pretty much, aye. And rather than losing a rag, you actually applaud them and say, you know what, well done, son. <laughs> that, do you know, actually, maybe that's where, maybe that's where we'll, we'll start because this is a conversation we've had a number of times over the years and, and I've, there's been sort of Facebook posts about it and there's... Let, talking about get, getting hit, now, I've... I've uh, any achievements I ever had, and we're, we're, we're going to get to your achievements in a wee second, uh, but any achievements I had were, were, were very mediocre. I just, I just loved competing, uh, and I just loved the buzz of it, etc., etc., and fought world-class fighters or sparrers, and again, we'll get to that definition as well, uh, but fought real world-class fighters, as we'll call it at the moment, like yourself, uh, and and n never got hurt. Never never got you know never n never actually got seriously seriously hurt. And obviously that's to do with a level of control and technique and and, and what sparring is meant to be about. Uh, yeah. But I'm sitting here with somebody who is nine times world taekwondo champion. Was it nine at the last time? Nine, 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 nine of the last one. Nine. Right. Okay. So. I'm sitting here with somebody who is uh, nine times world Taekwondo champion. So, and obviously has competed all around the world. Mm -hmm. What? Tell us a wee bit about your your obviously career, your your competition career, and then just thoughts on maybe we'll get some thoughts out of that on what what is the difference between competing and fighting and sparring and fighting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Aye, uh, well, I mean, I've, I've been quite fortunate. I started competing at a stage where there wasn't many junior black belts. Okay. And I, no, I know that sounds strange, but if, if I wanted to compete, I had to go in with the big guys. Right. So I was competing with people like Master Hutton, uh, Master Campins. Yeah. Um, the other guys, I mean, truly exceptional sparrers. I was only 14 years old. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, le I had to learn how not to get hit really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, going, out, going against guys with beards coming out of their eyes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Built like the gable into a five pound note, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not able to shave and I'm, you know, <laughs> have to go up against these guys. But it was, it was a very, very quick learning curve. Um, and it did me the world of good. Right. Yeah, an absolute power of good. Um, I actually got to the point I started about 16, I started winning a few. Uh -huh. so I started getting to finals and sort of semi finals and things like that. Because for most of it, I was, you know, I was, I was first round casual. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> most of it, I was, I was getting swept off the floor, literally. You know, they were having to peel me back into the car it was um it was quite tragic to launch but about 16 i started winning a couple but then i got a little bit arrogant i got a little bit cocky and i got a little bit ahead of myself you know? okay and thinking i was the business because i'd won a couple of fights against adults and then it was actually my instructor master cunningham yep yep who taught me one of the most invaluable lessons i'll ever learn i was at 16 years old and he hit me with a back kick and i woke up in the other ring okay 
Yeah, <laughs> I know that feeling well as well. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I thought, you know what, I it does, and right in that moment when I was picking myself up off the mat in the other ring, that I realised that you're never as good as what you think you are. Okay. There's always going to be somebody better, stronger, faster, fitter, more astute, more experienced than you are. And what I had to be was the hardest worker in the room because I'm not naturally talented. I'm not a person that you look at and you go, wow. You know, I'm not a person that when you see sparring, you think, oh my goodness, you know. When, when, when those big legs are coming down in the top of my head, I've often thought, wow, uh, right, right, Kareem, move, move, here it's coming, no, move, no, no, and then, and then it, it hits you in the head, with, with complete control, remember, with complete control, but yeah, carry on, I've thought, wow, a couple of things. <laughs> One thing I do have, I suppose, I do have ridiculously long legs, which really helps me. You know, a 39 inside leg is definitely a good advantage when you're fighting in the heavyweights, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, I, I knew I had to work harder, you know? I knew I had to be the hardest worker there, there was. And so when I, when I started on that kind of, of run, and then I hit about sort of my first sort of major competition, if you like, was at 17. That was at the European Championships in Moscow okay. in 93. Um, oh, that was an experience, but I'll get around to that one. Yeah, um, yeah. The, I knew that I was fighting in the adults as well because there was no junior European Championships. They didn't have juniors at the competition. It was only adults. Okay. And so I knew I had to be hard work and I knew I had to, to, to really push it. Then come around 95, I, I got into the, the semi-finals at the World Championships. Then come around to 96, I got into the final for the European. 97, again, it was the semi-finals. And then in two, um, it was 98, again, I was into the final. And then it was 2000 that really? I, I first won. That was in Rimini. And then it kind of kicked on from there. Um, um, there was a lot of influences around that time. There was a lot of people that came in, and what what I wanted to do was just learn from everybody. Uh -huh, so yeah. it didn't matter who I fought or where I got to; it was all about the learning process, you know. So, and that's what kept me going and kept me going back was I needed to learn. So, win, lose, or draw, it didn't really matter. You know, the color, the color of the medal became irrelevant in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, um, and and. And as much as so did the world titles, they didn't really mean as much as the experience of getting there. Okay. Because that, that ended up just being my sole focus was what did I learn, what can I learn? Yeah. How how can I do this better? And that's how it just kind of developed, you know. That it's funny you say that because one of the things, and again, you're 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 talking about medals and, and titles there, and again. I try, I try my best not to, as I say, write out actual specific questions for these things. But you obviously <laughs> know, you know who's coming on, and 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 you know what you'd hoped you can, or you're going to be able to talk about. Uh, yeah. What what I've said to people before, and and about belts, okay, and this might be the same as you're talking about medals or titles. I think you start, you start training in martial arts or, or our martial art of Taekwondo, uh, 
and I'll talk about belts just now, right? So you start and you kind of don't really worry about belts at all because you're just starting and seeing where this is going to go. And then there's a stage where you really worry about belts and then you get to our stage where you don't worry about belts again. And, and I'll, I'm always scared. <laughs> and, and this is going to go out, obviously, to my students and your students. And, and I'm always scared of disheartening people about that. But would you say titles are the same, that you kind of, oh, I'm just going to enter, and then you get, then you start maybe winning and you get really excited about winning. But then you sit back and you start analysing things and you think to yourself, do you know, there's actually more to be learned here other than just what medal I'm trying to get. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, they are they're, they're, they're parallel. Um, belts and medals are exactly the same thing because they don't actually really mean anything. You know, they're a nice achievement. They're, they're yeah. nice to say, look, look at what I've got sort of thing. But, you know, I know ninth degrees that are no more a grandmaster than a white belt. You know, yeah. um, I've, I've learned more from some um, white and yellow belts that, that, than I have from some grandmasters. You know, the, the, the actual belt isn't relevant to, to me. Um, yeah. I know it's relevant to other people and I know they see different things in different ways. And, you know, some people are always about the great. You know, they're always about moving on. They're always about the, the medal or the tangible things that they can get out of it. Yeah, but I, I think there is a there is a point that most people should reach, whether they will or not. I think most people should reach where the grade it becomes irrelevant and it becomes about the learning. You know, it yeah. becomes about what what can I learn from you? Whether you're a, a six year old in the, the Panthers or if you're a you know a, a sixty year old yeah yellow belt or whatever. What can I learn? What can I what can I gain from you? Now that was the approach that I, did, I tended to take in, in competitions. And yeah, I got excited and I got I got the buzz and the thrill of the competition. The same at gradings, you know, when you're yeah. up on those mats and you're you're facing the grandmaster like you did in, in Hawaii, the grandmaster show, you know, and you're looking yeah. at them, and you're thinking, my God, this is amazing! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you've got that buzz and the adrenaline's going and you're nervous as hell and you've been, you know, you haven't slept for about a week and all of that is, yeah. is a fantastic um, experience but it's almost like, and like you say, it's almost like the experience and the learning has overtaken what the grade means. Yeah, see, you mentioned something there but about, uh, and this is when I'm having this conversation with uh, Sometimes we, we students, particularly adult students, coloured belt students, are, are just them really. You, you mentioned there about uh, maybe even just what about what your achievement means to other people. There's got to be an importance in that as well because people come back and they'll say, yeah, but the fact that you've graded and passed is inspirational for us. And a student might be looking at you. And again, we've not even got on to you going through the belt system, but looking at your competition achievements and maybe if we don't care they won't care and there's an importance there as well that we, we've got to care as well so that so that they care Does yeah that, that makes sense 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I know exactly what you mean. As an instructor, it's very, very difficult because you want them to push and you want them to advance and you want them to be the best that they can be. And sometimes having the competition, having that goal, having that tangible at the end of it is the motivation that they need in order to do that. So yeah. you, you, there is that fine balance, especially as an instructor. You know, I don't think it means it matters so much if you didn't have the class in front of you. But, you know, when B. Johnny's looking at you like you're Zeus, it's, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it's, hard, it, it's hard to say to that little kid that, you know what, the, the nine mil titles don't really mean anything. Yeah, it is difficult, you know, and you're, you're about, to, about to experience it yourself, you know, because you, you, you try and teach the humility, but at the, at the same time, you know, it's, it's that fine balance between them. And I think sometimes I probably go too far the other way. I probably downplay it too much. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do as well. And, and one of the things was, uh, this, this master's grade has played havoc with my head. Uh, lead, leading up to the test, it was actually one of the students that had said, uh, I'd said, listen, like, I don't feel I'm... I always think if you think that you deserve the grade, that automatically means that you don't. Yes, it automatically disqualifies you right. from... So, it's, Billy Conley talking about people going into politics or what, the Prime Minister, I can't remember, but... If you want to be prime minister, you should definitely an OB type thing. Yeah, it should automatically disqualify I, you from ever holding the position. Yeah. And I'd said, look, now nah, this is kind of messing with my head, and, and I don't feel, uh, and still don't, but I don't feel deserving of this title. And it was, uh, it was one of my students, Jennifer, actually said to me, but maybe it's about getting the grade, and 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 then learning about it, and then growing into it uh, type thing and that kind of that that changed my head a wee bit but since I've come back as you mentioned there for, for testing in Hawaii I've kind of been I know it's actually getting annoying to people now that I'm deliberately just still using the master sort of title rather than the master title and I don't really know where that fits yet what, what's what's your take on that well, see, look, looking at it from the outside, I think, you know, there's there's many people that I can look at that would, I would say you are a master of nothing. You wouldn't be one of those, you know. You're, you're definitely deserving of the title master. Well, that's easy for me to say. It's a different thing. And I think your student's absolutely right. I think she's spot on about growing into her own. You know, when somebody passes the red belt, we don't expect them to already know the path. Spot on. Yeah, yeah. We, we teach them how to be a red belt. We teach yeah. them their path. We teach them the techniques they need for the grade. Being a master is no different, I suppose. You have to be taught how to be a master, what that mastership actually means. And it's not about kicking and punching and... That it's, it's about mentality, it's about an ethos, and it's it's directed from your grandmaster. So, um, Grandmaster Amiris, is it? Grandmaster Amiris is the, is, yeah. he holds the same title as you as far as technical director for, for AMA. Right, uh, yeah. yeah. 
so there's him, and then you have, you know, obviously Grandmaster Cho, but then we have uh, Master Darcy. Yeah. And I, I, th those sort of influences that will teach you how a, an AMA master should be, yeah. you know, um, or how a Taekwondo master should be, you know, for, for, forget badges, it's just, you know, how, how a Taekwondo master should be. So that, that's where your lineage and where, your, where it comes from. For me, it will be, if I pass my grade and it'll be the likes of um, Mrs. Park, it'll be Grandmaster Ha, it'll be, um, you know, following Grandmaster Park's example. Unfortunately, he's not here to teach us anymore, but he's, you know, what he taught us is still around. Um, and then Master Cunningham. So that would be my lineage and yeah. they'll teach me how to be a master. So, yeah. you know, I get what you're saying. If, when, when I go for my 70th, do I think I'm worthy of that a title of master? Absolutely not. I think I could be, yeah, eventually. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, with the right challenge, I could be worthy yeah. of that, but certainly not at the moment. Uh, and But that's how, you know, we both feel when it comes to that sort of thing. Just it's very difficult. Yeah, just what you mentioned there about the red belt might be, I mean, sometimes people just say, say they say something and, and it's it's so true that somebody passing a red belt or whatever grade it is, you don't then expect them to walk into the next class and and know all the requirements for holding that holding that belt. Uh, yeah. Again, this is a subject that I know you'll 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 talk about forever because I would do the same for for obviously Grandmaster Cho. But you mentioned uh, Mrs. Park there, who is your honorary chairperson of the Global Taekwondo Federation. And she is the wife of the late uh, Grandmaster Park. Let's talk a wee yeah. bit about him, if that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll talk all day. I'll wax lyrical yeah. about the man. He was, uh, he was a true gentleman. He was a true Grandmaster in every which way you could imagine. Um, I remember I was actually sitting with him, and I think that summed him up. Absolutely, was we were sitting. Uh, it was a month before he died. Okay. It was we were sitting having a meal in um, Arkansas, um, right. in America. We we're sitting chatting away, and I just asked him because I had to ask him. Said, "What's your favourite patterns? You've created all these patterns. You know, he created Juche, and yeah. he was involved in others, and he, you know, he had the six GTF patterns. And like, what's your favourite pattern?" He went to me, Mister Stephen. Because he always called me Mr. Stephen. It's like, Mr. Stephen, my, my, my favourite pattern is Chunji. Yeah. He says, maybe one day I'll do it right. <laughs> yeah. And For anybody what? listening who isn't a Taekwondo practitioner, he's talking about the first pattern, uh, which is amazing for a Grandmaster to be. It's funny you say yeah. that. Let me just jump in there, because Grandmaster Cho always calls me Mr. Kareem. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it must be a Korean thing, maybe you know, because their surname normally comes first. That's right, right. So, aye, yeah. There um, you go. Oh, fantastic! So, tell us a wee bit about him then. He, he was exceptional. I mean, physically, in terms of his um, ability, he was incredible. I remember watching him doing a, a six-board air brake punch. So he dropped the boards. Yeah. Bang! Six <laughs> boards right through them. Like, oh my. God, what is this I'm watching? You know, um, spear finger through uh, two boards, you know, two inches of wood. Yeah. Right through it. Um, flying triple turning kick from a standard position. 
and it was just the the physical ability of him was unbelievable but it was him as a person that was more unbelievable if you like you know yeah. it was it was incredible because i remember um we were at a, a seminar down in coventry it was one of the first seminars he did in under the gta in the yeah. uk and he's doing he's doing these uh pattern and he actually made a mistake okay through the pattern you got the you did it and there was a wee yellow belt in the front row so <laughs> wee green belt um, uh, got up and said, sir, sir, you did that wrong. You did that wrong. You're not supposed to do it that way. And he stopped and he looked at the bed and instead of scold him or anything like that, he went, you're very right. I'm very sorry. I will try harder. <laughs> and then started the pattern again. And it was the humility of the man that was incredible. I saw him sit with a, um, one of our yellow belts for over an hour and a half talking about the bad back. Um, oh, okay. Just she'd actually broken her spine in several places, right? And had silicon injections to keep her spinal cord together. Uh-huh. And she, she, she was told she would never walk again. But you know, there she was doing her taekwondo. She actually became a world champion as well. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. She was fantastic. But I, so she was talking to him, and they were just chatting, and it was there was no difference between watching him than watching anybody else you know we, we revere people quite a lot and we kind of put them on a pedestal yeah but he was so humble and so down to earth um, the first people he talked to at a seminar when he walked in was the parents yeah he always went to the parents always went and talked to them before he conducted his seminar uh-huh. chatting to them how are you doing you know all of that kind of just you know just introducing himself yeah uh, and being who he was and that was something that that struck me was just because he was, I mean, even when you talk to people in the ITF and people like that, they'll say how good Grandmaster Park was and what an influence he had on Taekwondo. But to see that sort of person be as humble and be who just a normal human being, you know, and not, you know, it was never, there was never ever a sense of arrogance about him always approachable you could always go up to him and say you know how's this and he remembered people uh-huh. you know that's that's yeah. the crazy thing he remembered people you know i'd met him the first time i met him was in 1990 and then i met him about uh, it was three years later at the european championships and he said oh mr steven you're still very tall you know? <laughs> yeah that was you know three years had gone by and he remembered yeah and and that was a you know a, a specialness about him, you know. I, you talk about you talk about putting them on, and we're talking about the grandmasters here, whether it be Grandmaster Park or Grandmaster Cho. I don't. I, I always wonder as well. We do put them on pedestals, but I've yet to see. We again, this is something we've talked about in the past as well. That that. I still, I still look at Grandmaster Cho, and obviously I was with him there in November, and even though they're full of this humbleness and humility, there's still something special about these men. There is, isn't there? There's an aura. I, I, you know, there's a presence. I mean, a great example. I bet you you've experienced this with Grandmaster Cho. Even if you don't see him, you know he's in the room. It's, it's funny, we, we, we talked about this and we were in a, this has gone back years and years, 
and being in. Do you know what it is? I, I think they they have a they have a reassure. They just have this reassurance. Grandmaster Cho always walks with a a, a dead straight back, uh, and and just a, a calmness and. A, and again, I've seen I've seen video footage of Grandmaster Park, or, or, or really any of the any of the, the Grandmasters from that that era, which maybe we can talk about as well. But they, it, there wasn't the, there wasn't this arrogance. There was just a a one hundred percent belief. There was a reassurance about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that shows the difference between a false arrogance and an absolute assurance. Yeah, because they knew. You know, they didn't need to show anybody. They yeah. just know. You know, they, they know that they, what they can do. They don't need to, to have a belt to show that. They don't need a title to yeah. have to show that. Because, I mean, even just walking down the street, you just know. You know, I mean, I, I trained with um, Grandmaster Cho when he came over to Scotland once. Yeah. Um, absolutely phenomenal experience. You know, absolutely brilliant. But you just... No, you know when you look at him and you see him doing his stuff and he's punching and you think, I mean, he had a sore shoulder when he was over that night, and I still wouldn't want to take a hit off him on his bad arm. You know, <laughs> it's incredible. I was very blessed and and, and have been very blessed uh, to be in his company like for the full weeks that he's been over here, and and I remember that. I remember the shoulder being painful, and I remember uh, Master Das at the time saying, "Listen, sir, like." Just kind of go canny with that shoulder and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And and then as soon as he, got, <laughs> I remember him being on the wee platform. And as soon as he got on the platform, he just let it rip. And there, there was a there was a level of not wanting to let people down as well, and and want to just be there and, and and full rather than. But my I know how painful his shoulder was at that time. Uh, yeah. But I just know there was no way that he was going to going to let down people that had been there to train with him as, as he would have he he would have seen it. Uh, um, well, that was, it was very similar to Grandmaster Park. When we met him, he was already very, very ill in 2002 when we went across. Um, and he actually discharged himself from hospital okay. um, to, to be with us. And Mrs Park actually had to phone the, the instructor that we were going to see and told him to hide all these dough box. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give him a dough box for goodness sake because you'll want to train. And he was far, far too ill. First yeah. thing he did when he got there, where's my dough box? Yeah. Yeah. Where's my dough box? Give me a dough box. I need a dough box. And that that's what he was about, you know. Ah, okay. I, I, when I say they, I, I mean the people that we're talking about. The, the, the Grandmaster Parks of the world, the Grandmaster Chosen of the world, are are or were they different than than what we are trying to get to? Uh, was the expectation more? So that meant their standards went up. Are we is our expectations maybe no as high? I, I, I still I still look at people. I, I look at I look at the very best that we have now, and I, and I still see somebody like Grandmaster Park, thank God we've still got Grandmaster Cho and I just and there's they're just different individuals. Why is that? Or is it it might not be, but I think it is. I think it is and I don't know why. 
I think they are. I think they are different, but only because of where they are in their journey. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. don't think there's any reason why any of us can't be that person. We just have to follow the right path. And I think if, if we follow the right path and we do the right things, we can be that person. We're not there yet. Of course we're not. But we haven't done our whole lives yet. Yeah. You know, I mean, Grandma Sapak was um, in his 50s when he died, but he'd been training since he was four or five years old in martial yeah. arts. So, you know, 50 years is a long, long time to be yeah. studying something. And I think when you get to that level, when you get to that age, and you've spent your life dedicated to that, I think then you could be that person. I don't think getting a ninth degree or getting a grandmaster makes you that person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Because I know some grandmasters that just oh, they'll never be that person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because they're they're on utterly their own path. You know, they yeah. they have this grade and they have this title and it's fantastic, great achievement, well done. But don't think for a second that you are anything like the grandmaster chose. The grand, you know, the grandmaster packs, Namte, uh, grandmaster uh, Namte High. Yeah like that you know you they are not those people because they haven't gone with the right path and i think following that path and I, th I think i once described it as um standing on the shoulders of giants yeah yeah i remember that, you know, that yeah yeah you have to stand on their shoulders not walk a different path from them this this making you start going a different way they, then i think you're you know you're done and it, it, you know it comes down to who you have that faith in it. If it comes down, you know, it could be um, General Troy, it could be Namte High, it could be Buckman Kim, it could be June Ree, it could be, you know, Gail Cho, it could be Park Chung Tae, it could be Park Chung Tae, it could be Sundok Song, it doesn't matter yeah. who it is, but you should be following their path because that is, that's where it is, you know. I, I say to students often, and again, the, the more I, having these podcasts things have came up and i think to myself right you really must stop saying this uh or, or maybe try and think about wording it a different way uh so again we, i think we're similar in, in the time i was five when i started i'm 38 now so 33 years and yeah. i'll tell you when i realized and this is a god's honest truth and this is difficult for people because <laughs> Again, it's not about disheartening people, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you when I knew that I kind of knew a wee bit, a wee bit about what being a martial artist should be about, and that mm -hmm. was when we get locked down for COVID nineteen. Now, let me explain. I I took the news that we were going to have to lock down the school, and everything was. Uh, all these sudden changes were happening and I actually uh, that sort of don't resist try flowing type attitude and yeah and there was no there was no frustration on my part strangely there, there wasn't much worry or anxiety about it uh, and I, I I could see I can see Grandmaster Cho obviously has had to close his school everybody's had to close their school but I can just picture and picture to my head that his attitude would be this is life, this is 
this is what we train for. It's to be that more rounded, calm person. And, and, yeah. and I said this, I was actually talking to Mr. Walker about this, but you know well, and I'd said yeah. to him, listen, I, it's, I'm really actually surprised at myself because it, previously it would have been, oh my God, what are we going to do? This is the end of the world, et cetera, et cetera. And it's martial arts and Taekwondo that has taught me that, do you know what? It's actually not. It's actually not. And that's 33 years. So this is what I'm saying. I don't like saying to students, well done, right? You actually have been here for five years. It'll be about another 28 years before he starts. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be another 28 years before you start getting anything out of this at all. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, how do, how do you tell somebody, you know, you're going you're to have to be jumping around in a pair of white jammies for the next 40 years before you actually understand what it's about. It's, yeah. it's, but this is why in um, the GTF we have uh, the stripes. Okay, right. Down our suits. Um, at, uh, black, at fourth down, it's the black stripe. Right, uh-huh. And that represents an absence of knowledge. So okay. at fourth time, you're okay. considered to have an abs knowledge because you don't really get it yet. You've got the techniques, you can kick punch, you can do it. You should be around about the, the, the physical beat. Then we have white in between. So we have a white stripe to represent the innocence, just like the belt colours. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Then a yellow represents your growth. That's at sixth degree. You're actually growing into a martial artist. You're becoming a martial artist. Yeah. yeah? The red represents the danger as you become master and you start to master the art is the danger that you could lead the wrong path. And wow, the danger okay. you yeah. run down the wrong way. The blue representing the heaven mm -hmm. and that's where you're aspiring to as your eighth degree. So you're starting to realise that you're ascending. Yeah. So you're moving towards heaven. And then purple at ninth degree um, is the international colour for justice. So it's helping to build a more peaceful world. Yep. Wow. Okay. So that that's where the colours come in for the, the stripes on our suits is because that is what you're considered. You know, at first degree you're considered a novice. You're considered a beginner. That that to me is a, is a big problem for people. Uh, and again, yeah. again, I'm 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 very quickly considering putting this podcast out after the lockdown because <laughs> if, if people if people have time to digest this. Uh, you and I might go back to no students at all. Uh, <laughs> that could be a problem. But it, it's it's just about conveying what what I think we know. Conveying yeah. that message. I mean, I often try. I, I used to. I you know I spoke about this on Facebook today, but used to be completely black and white, and I've really really tried to come away from that. But I used to just say, yeah, if once you're a you're only beginning when you're a black belt and, and you know nothing up yeah. until then. Now, deep down, I still believe that and, and I know it to be true. However, mm. there's people out there, students who are working exceptionally hard week in, week out, and, and they're looking to achieve that grade. Uh, yeah. It's difficult. Again, the, the good thing about the podcast, other than, rather than a Facebook post, is that we can discuss this long forum conversation and maybe try and help people uh, understand. But you're a hard man if, if somebody's trained for, my, my average is 67 years, seven years yeah. to, to get a black belt. 
to then turn around to somebody and say, that means nothing. It's, it's a ridiculous sort of statement, no matter how true it is, because you, let's have a wee chat about that then. How, how do you explain that to people uh, without this happening them or? What I often say is like, um, your, your progression in um, Taekwondo is a synonym for life. You, you can't get up and run as a child. You have to learn how to stand and then walk. You can't run into running. Yeah. If you yeah. want to learn how to run, you've got to get those parts right first. It's still a great achievement being able to stand up. It's still an achievement being able to walk. It's an achievement learning how to run. But you want to be a sprinter, you want to be an Olympic sprinter, you want to be this, this, or that, then you've got much more to do in the run-up to doing it. So it's a synonym for life. You know, you, you, you get the basics, you get your standing and your walking right first. Yeah. Then you get into running. You run at that, so that's your black belt. You know, your black belt is when you first start to learn how to run. And you learn how to run properly. Yeah. And then you develop that speed, and then you become the fastest in your class. You know, yeah. and then you develop through that. So it is very much. But if if your achievement, if your if first stand is all you want to achieve, if that is all you all the grade that you want, then fine. But it doesn't stop you learning Taekwondo. You know, the, yeah. the grade that you have doesn't stop you then going in. If you're older and you're not as capable as you once were, mm -hmm. even as a first one, it doesn't matter. Go and start researching it. Go and have a look at your, your the, the ethics and the, the, the mindset of a martial artist. You know, read things like the Book of Five Rounds and Sun Tzu's Art of War and, you know, really look at what it means to be a martial artist. The fact that you can't do a split kick, turning kick, back kick in the air, really doesn't matter you know yeah just because you don't know tong eel yeah um, which is the, the last pattern in our our system doesn't yeah. matter yeah. that isn't important you know first stand is still the start of your journey whether you stay at first stand for the rest of your life makes absolutely no difference if that is your hundred percent if that is what you've got to then great that's yeah. absolutely fantastic that's all you need Progress if you want to, don't progress. But, you know, that first time is still the start. Um, so it is about your, your introduction. But that, I think, you know, our average is around about five and a half to six years. Yeah. For somebody going from first uh, white belt. It used to be a lot quicker. Um, I went from white belt to first time in two and a half years. Wow, okay, right, right. Far too quick. Far too quick. Um, and it really caught up with me when I had about third dan. Um, right. That's when it really caught up with me and I realised I don't know enough. I don't know everything that I should know as a, as a third degree. Yeah. So I stayed, I stayed at um, third degree for about 11 years. That's, it's interesting. I, I was a first degree for six years. So for six years between first and second degree, that, that's, that's what yeah. I was. That that's funny that because it can't it, it it's it's maybe proven be, be, through what we are saying here that, that eventually that 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 rushing or lack of knowledge does catch up with you. 
Yeah, absolutely. It finds you out, and black belt finds you out. Yeah, you know, it really does find you out because if you've gone up too quick, you don't have that basic understanding of what your body's doing. You know, whether you understand the angles and the, the, the technical sort of nuances is fairly relevant. You've got to understand what your body's doing and what you're doing with each technique. If you don't get that, if you don't understand that, you really have no basis to move forward. Yeah. Um, especially when you start getting into more complex patterns. And, and you all, all of a sudden, I, what it was, I was actually, I, I was just practicing my patterns on my own. And I, I just stopped and I thought, what am I doing? What am I actually doing here? What what pattern is this? What what is this move for? And I couldn't answer it. Yeah. And I couldn't answer it. It was a very very basic simple question, and I couldn't answer. It and I thought, oh no, and I really need to take a step back. And thankfully, it was Grandmaster Brown um, at the time. Mm-hmm. It was Mr. Brown and Mr. C were basically like, you know, they they were the ones that got me back on speed. Yeah. Uh, and taught me what I needed, you know, got me in the right sort of mindset. Um, because it, it was at that point that I realised that the, the, the patterns weren't just kicking and punching. Yeah. They were a lot more than that. They were far deeper, you know. Um, I think when you get when you get that black again, I'll I'll, I'll apologise before I say this because especially my black belt students will be fed up. And actually, uh, I wrote about this as part of my thesis as well, but that. Uh, that Musashi quote of know the way broadly and you will see it in yeah. all things. And, and, yeah. and I, I was having a discussion with my black belts maybe two years ago about this and, and asking them what, what is a black belt? None of them could get it. None of them could get the answer I was looking for, which was it's maybe a bit unfair because they were, they were given good answers, I guess. Mm. Uh, but I think one of the, the things you should do when you get your black belt is start to understand that quote and you should get better at it the, the, for each degree you go up through to yeah. becoming a master and then a grandmaster. Uh, what, what I took for that saying was, so know the way broadly, I would translate that to know Taekwondo broadly and you will see it in all things. And I, I think I do. So I think to myself, right, Master Darcy talked about this once and he was over for a seminar and he was talking about, we went to the fun fair at, at Strathclyde Park, which is uh, a local uh, sort of uh, fun park beside where I stay. And Tracy, my wife, was going up in one of those, it's one of those sort of big sort of round sort of ball things you sit in and it fires you up into the sky. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a bungee type thing. Uh. And... Master Darcy sitting looking at this, not seeing a fun fair ride. He was looking at that, analysing how it generated power. And I'll never, <laughs> I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, so it's it's seeing if your your martial art becomes insidious and I know insidious is a sort of really negative term but it just sneaks into every part of your life you see it and everything yeah and and there's so many people get to first degree when when they're just maybe about to start on that journey and then and then they give up or yeah some people go all the way to grandmaster and that never occurs to them that that that's important 
Yeah. Yeah, because that, that, that's what I was talk, talking about earlier, about choosing the right path. Yeah. I think when a grandmaster doesn't realise the importance of that kind of aspect of things, that's when they've gone wrong, because yeah. all they're doing is kicking and punching. Yeah. And that's wrong. But it's, it's like you, you see grandmasters, and you, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, is when they, they say things like, um, uh, you're not doing real taekwondo if you're not following what Choi left us in 2002. Yeah. What an absolutely absurd statement is that. That is somebody that cannot see taekwondo broadly. Yeah. They cannot see it in all things because it is such a discourteous statement that therefore cannot be following Choi's taekwondo because they've broken his first tenet, which is courtesy. And that's where they've lost this idea and they've lost the, 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 the true sense of Taekwondo and the true understanding of seeing it broadly, yeah. you know? Um, the, you, you see Taekwondo broadly and you'll see it in all things, but you'll see it in all people as well. Just to, put a, wee, to put a wee note in there, uh, and apologies for interrupting you because I want to I investigate this, but yeah. obviously we have people listening, so I'll just put a wee sort of asterisk beside that. Uh, General Choi uh, was was the person who created the the International Taekwondo Federation, yeah. and he passed away in two thousand and two. And and again, I, I'm maybe speaking for for you here, but we're not saying this attitude is exclusive to that association because there's people no. with that attitude in many associations. Yeah. But what we're discussing at the moment is how people will see. Uh, their particular style, especially if it's if it's a style that's came directly from General Choi as being, we have to do it exactly how he left it when he passed away 18 yeah. years ago. And if you're not doing it that way, then it's wrong. That's pretty much what we're saying, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And it's like, you know, I mean, I've actually had arguments with this um, with some people in the GTA who believe that Taekwondo stopped when Grandmaster Park died. Right. And that's absolutely ridiculous. We follow his style because that is the style that we follow. Yeah. But to say that you can't evolve an art because you're following a particular style is utterly ridiculous. And I think it, it totally negates the fact that martial arts and Taekwondo should be seen in a broad principle, you know, that, and no matter what badge you are, it's still Taekwondo, yeah. you know, and yeah. there's so many different styles of Taekwondo, and this is what people don't get, you know, they don't realise, it's like, the, the question I always have for people is say, you're not doing real Taekwondo because you're not doing my Taekwondo, and it's yeah. like, great, right, how's about you tell me what the real Karate is then, yeah. or the real Kung Fu? or the real judo, or the real jiu-jitsu, or the real... What, what are those? Uh, oh, but they're different. How? Because they're not your style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? It's a ridiculous concept. Taekwondo is a broad church. It is a broad spectrum of different arts and different styles. Taekwondo literally means the foot that's passed away. Yeah? yeah? That's all it means. It, if, if somebody says, if you're not doing choice style left by, left by him in 2002, 
you're not doing the real Chang Hong Taekwondo. Fine, you've got an argument there. Yeah. You know, because that was his style was Chang Hong. If somebody says, if you leave the GTF and you go and do your own thing, you're not doing the right Chukam Taekwondo. Yeah. Absolutely right. You're not. Yeah. You're doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still Taekwondo. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. You know, and, and, and that's, that's the thing. It, it, does, it does rile me in a little way, and there's very few things that get me agitated and get me a little bit annoyed, but that's one of them. You know, this yeah. the absolute disservice. That's like saying your black belt isn't worth something because I didn't give you it. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's an incredibly discourteous thing to say to anybody. Yeah. You know? um, but it is, you know, we, we do have this this idea that it comes, I suppose it goes way back, you know, my Kung Fu is stronger than your Kung Fu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it goes, and we get back in, and, you know, we get down to this idea of sine wave and no sine wave. Yeah. It doesn't matter. As long as what you hit stays hit. Yeah. Does it really matter how it got hit, you know? Yeah. Whether you use sine wave or whatever, you know? It's... Um, it, it, it is a ridiculous concept that you're not allowed to give your 100% because your 100% is not my 100%, you know? It, it's not fair and it's not right. Um, and the sooner that idea is done with, the better, you know? Um, it's like these, it's like you see other federations and other ones that say, I, we're all about one taekwondo. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you do that, we want to encompass everybody. Oh, but not you because I disagree with what you're doing. Yeah. Or, uh, or we're going to merge all the non-members more than our members because we want our members, we want you to join us rather than they don't really get it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they don't really understand the days of the the, the massive federations are gone. Yeah. Don't exist anymore. What we have are smaller federations run the way that people want to run them people will join them because they like the way that's run yeah yeah it doesn't make it any less it doesn't make it any worse we're all still taekwondo we're all still bowing and punching each other in the face yeah <laughs> you know what difference does it make what badge you have when you're you know it, it makes no odds and i think when people actually start to see that and they understand the book of five minutes they actually read it and understand it. They'll know what a martial art actually is. And it isn't a badge. It isn't somebody's way of being better than another. It's about being the best in that way. Yeah. Do, do, do you get what 100%, I mean? 100%. I understand you and I, and, and I agree with you as well. Uh, okay. What... What what's what's better? I, I I'll tell you what I think's better. I think it's better having a base and then and then adding on additions, or is it or is and again let's talk about modern sort of mixed martial arts for example. So you've got if you if you if you study now when mixed martial arts first became popular, you had your your Hoist Graces for example who were the the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy versus the kung fu guy versus the yeah. judo guy. And then that very 
quickly. Uh, a lot of the stand-up guys, they started then thinking, well, hold on a minute, I need to learn a wee bit on the ground here. Yeah. And that stage, and then it morphed again to this stage where people would walk into MMA gyms, mixed martial arts gyms, and they would have a, a say they'd done three classes a week. One of them would be wrestling, one would be striking, one would be would be groundwork. So they've got this wee taste of everything. But then you've got guys like like us who have done this one style as a solid base. And again, you yeah. get guys and you get like a George St. Pierre's of this world. So one of the best fighters of all time had a, a really solid karate base and then added on. Yeah. Any thoughts on, and can I know you, you, you trained a lot with, with Chris Credelli and there's lots of things that you've went and added on to, to this solid base. Yeah, well, I've done, I've done like say jiu-jitsu, I've done Aikido, um, I've done, um, out. I've done wrestling. I've, I've trained with Chris Cradelli for that year, which was an unbelievably mind-blowing um, experience. I mean, it was a different level. Um, I think, me personally, I think having a base and a mastery in an art is important. Not for winning a UFC match, because at the end of the day, just a sport do you know yeah that's um, just that's a sport that is it's got rules it's got a base you know winning a match is one thing i'll go and you know i'll train mma to win that match yeah you know, that's fine i'll learn the rules I'll, I'll, I'll get to fighting that it doesn't give you a basis in martial arts you know you look at the likes of conor mcgregor mm -hmm. okay a, a really good um in the ring Yep, yep. Absolute Egypt of a man. You know? <laughs> I won't disagree with that. That, that. that has absolutely no martial art basis in him whatsoever because he would not be as arrogant as he is. You know? Okay. What, what, what he's become is a sportsman that does a martial art, not a martial artist that does a sport. Right. Because there is a real fundamental difference between the two. Um, yeah, that, that was actually a saying I picked up from Master Darcy. Okay, that, that was one of his that I had. Right. Um, so you know, we, we, we are uh, first and foremost, we're martial artists, we should behave as martial artists. And this is one of my, my problems that I have with MMA and UFC and things like that is they don't behave like martial artists, you know, yeah. all that smash talking and jumping about in the ring. And, Body popping in the middle of a fight before you get your yeah teeth knocked out. You know it's not good. It's not martial arts. It's not the way it should be done. Um, but it's a sport. It's a spectacle. People buy into it. You know yeah. it, it's great fun. But I think it's much better to give yourself that ground and give you that understanding of the art from a a personal point of view, from personal growth from being a better person, I think you have to have that. Yeah. If you want to win at UFC, go and learn MMA. Yeah. I've had this argument with a few people, and, and, and I must admit that I, I sort of always fall into to agreeing with what, what you're saying there. And I think it's a, again, this maybe leads us all the way back to something that I mentioned at the beginning about the difference between sparring and fighting people people have a people have a fear 
I know that certainly some of my students have a fear because punching and kicking people is is fighting to them. Yeah. And you and I know it's sparring in a Taekwondo match or even in a UFC full contact match is completely different to what an actual fight is. It's a sport. Yeah. And I've had people say, yeah, they are martial artists, but they're only doing that to to sell tickets and they're only doing that to make money and, and et cetera, et cetera. But it still sticks with me that I would look at, again, using it as an example, I would look at a, a Grandmaster Park or a Grandmaster Cho. If, if they were ever involved in anything like that, how would they conduct themselves? Uh, George St. Pierre, I can't, I'll go back to George St. Pierre because right. George St. Pierre, as a, he always said that he was a martial artist first and then a, yeah. a sports person, and always conducted himself with dignity yeah. and still sold out arenas. Yeah. I, I don't think you have to be cursing and swearing and doing this and doing that to no. sell fight tickets. Some people no, absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not. I mean, you, you, I think if the, the likes of... Um, Grandmaster Park and that, if they, if they were in UFC or anybody that was of a, a solid martial art background like Pierre, when you go in and you conduct yourself with that dignity and that respect, you're still going to sell tickets because people are there to see you fight, you know. All this show and everything that goes on with it, it does nothing except feed the arrogance and feed the ego of the people that are doing it. Yeah, you know, that's all it does when they come out with a big entourage, and you know, you've got it's like, oh, for God's sake, give yourself a rest, son. You know, you're nothing special. You know, you're getting inside a ring, you're going to do a fight, great, have a bit of dignity about it. You know, um, I think one of the best things I ever saw in UFC actually was I forget his name at the moment, um. Sure, he was American though, American Chinese maybe, and he was in a he was in a match and he hit the guy, and the guy was obviously in a lot of distress. Yeah. Um, but the referee wouldn't stop the fight, so right, okay. the boy actually knee and tapped out. Right. Oh, I think I've lost you. Sir. No, that's okay. We're back. We're back. We're back now. Um, so the guy actually took a knee and tapped out of the fight. Wow. Okay. Because the guy was in such distress, he was yeah. like, I'm not going to hit him again because I'm going to kill him. Yeah, yeah. But the referee wouldn't stop it. And the guy, of course, wouldn't give up. Yeah. Well, because that's, I think that's in our DNA a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, so he took the knee, and that was a sign of real respect and real dignity. Yeah. Um, but I think it does come back to the original point between fighting and sparring. Yeah. You know? There is a fundamental difference because what we do is a sport in, in, in the ring. Um, you know, and even UFC to a degree is a sport. It has rules, it has boundaries because see if I'm in the street, yeah. I, you know, I'm not doing a nice little reverse hook kick touching you off the head. Yeah. I'm poking in your eyes, biting your nose and kneeing you in the nuts. You know, yeah. that's... Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and it's probably in that order. <laughs> probably in that order, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's a fight in the street. That you couldn't do that in UFC. No, no, yeah. You know, and as much as they are probably just as equipped as any other martial artist to, to defend themselves in the street, at the end of the day, they're still tied by rules in a sport and they have to follow those rules. Um, 
So when people are scared of hitting another person, you know, Chris Cradelli did a great exercise with us down at Telford where we had to punch each other. Okay. We had to punch each other in the thigh. Right. As hard as we could. Okay. And we started off being all gentle uh, and just, you know, pulling the punches every time. And he was like, what do you think is going to happen? It's the hardest bone in the body. What are you, Superman? Do you think you're going to bust them? Yep. Get a grip of yourself now. Hit them. You're not going to hurt them. And and then you could see the contact going up and up and up. And as the pain got more, people started hitting harder and harder. And you started to realise how much actually took for somebody to stop you when you're hitting yeah, and it was a great exercise. I wouldn't advise it for kids. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bruise on the thigh took about six weeks to, to, <laughs> to even turn yellow, you know. Um, so, but it, it did show that, you know, you have to get over yourself a little bit. Yeah. Because you aren't going to have the power to seriously hurt a person in a sparring match. Um, yeah. Unless it's an absolute freak of an accident. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, I've, I've, I have seen some absolute doozers in my time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, people walking into reverse hook kicks that break their jaw and lose yeah. six of their feet. But it was a freak accident. Yeah. Which you can know? happen in a football field or a rugby field. or. or Absolutely. Or Absolutely. Uh, the worst injuries I've ever had have been playing football. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we, it's, it's no... Kids come into class, oh, we, again, obviously, you're working within a... Uh, you're, you're working in an environment that you're trying to make as safe as possible. But yeah. I get, very, very rarely do our students get injured when they're in the, the Taekwondo school. But they walk in having broke this on the trampoline or sprained <laughs> this at football or cut their uh, head at rugby or whatever. And you laugh and joke with parents as well because you're saying, we're, 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 we're teaching your children to punch and kick, and et cetera, et cetera. And they never seem to get hurt. But it's because you're within that controlled environment. I mean, yeah. I had a conversation once with, with, with a parent who was... Now, again, if we've... Again, for people listening, if we've got children sparring, you're looking at uh, foam in the hands, foam in the feet, foam in the shins, foam in the head, mouth guards, uh, sometimes chest protectors, groin guards, etc., etc. Uh, and sometimes... Parents can be very uh, unhappy that their children are, are, are getting hit, even, even with that equipment on. Yeah. But then they're also asking you to teach them to defend themselves on the street when somebody's going to try and punch them full force with no protective equipment on or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, yeah, that's very, very difficult though when you're dealing with that kind of situation. But it's the same as the parent that comes to you and says, I want you to teach my child discipline. And then every time the parent doesn't want to go, they don't bring. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, how can you expect me to teach your child discipline when they have no discipline? You know, martial arts does not build character it only reveals the character that's already there so the parents have a big part to play in getting the child to class making sure they've got their dog walk making sure they've got 
it pressed, it's clean, they've got their equipment with them, you know. But the parents shouldn't hold the responsibility for that. They just have to make sure the child lives up to their responsibility. Yeah. When I was coming up through the grades, my mum never washed my adobo. Okay. That was my job. Yep. I had to get it in the washing. I had to wash it. It was me that had to. And she helped me. She taught me how to do it. Yeah. But it was my responsibility. If I didn't, if I forgot my gear, that was my problem. Yeah. It's me that accepted that. Um, you you do get that. I mean, you get, I'll say to people will come in and they'll say, oh, sir, I don't have my safety gear tonight. And, and, and you see the parent straight away interrupt that. My, my, and they'll say, oh, that was my fault. And my first question back is, whose safety gear is it? Because you're, uh, it's, you're trying to teach that. You're trying to teach or encourage that responsibility, not just for the two hours that they're in your class, but, but all the time. Uh, yeah. Outside as well. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. And that's where the discipline part comes in. You know, you, you, you see it all the time when parents come in and they'll say, you know, teach my child this one. Well, no, that's your job. Yep. Is to discipline your child. My yep. job is to make sure that they're here, that they're doing this, and that they're learning the skills that they need. You know, I, I can't teach that discipline. It's impossible. I see the child for what, two hours a week. Yep. You know, you, you've got them for the other 166 hours. You know, yep. <laughs> I, I can't teach them that. But what what we can do is we can we you know we can help the parent to learn the art as well. Yeah. Uh, and this is a thing that I think sometimes as instructors in particular we forget. We're not just teaching the child. We're teaching the parents to teach the child. Okay. You know. So so teaching them about the art I think is also very very important. Yeah. And getting them to understand why we do certain things and why we do them in certain ways. You know, engaging with parents in that way can be difficult because all they see is their little Johnny, you know? Yeah. And, and I've had parents phone me up and say, why didn't my Johnny get this grade? And why didn't he get that grade when such and such did? And it's like, well, because he didn't work, merit it, you know? Yeah. Oh, but we've paid X amount and so on, so you, you're just going to buy him a black belt now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> where's the discipline where's the thought process you know um, I, th I think my, my understanding of it really came I actually understood it quite young because um, I, I failed my blue belt right okay failed my blue belt grade then. Um, probably because I'll, I was probably an arrogant little toad or something you know, um, so it'll be something along those lines. Of, uh, the, the weird thing is, I actually teach my instructor from then now. Yes, I, yeah. Bill <laughs> Cosway, which is, yeah. he's, the man still terrifies me. <laughs> um, absolutely terrifies me, but he's, um, he failed me. Probably, he'll tell you probably because I was arrogant or I didn't, you know, I, I didn't try hard enough or something. Yeah. But my mum taught me a very, very good lesson. Um, because she didn't mollycoddle me, she didn't say, "Oh, there, there, son, I'll find out what happened." Yeah. She just says, "Well, you need to go and ask why you failed." Yeah. You know, she didn't blame the instructor. Yeah. She didn't blame anybody else. She put the responsibility on me. Well, you know, you have to find out why you failed. But I promised myself from that time. I looked at him and said, "You are never going to fail me again." Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's going to be very powerful it. having to say that to yourself to to have that that drive that you 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 are not going to allow it to happen again. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that was I was about to take an ownership, but my mum played a massive part in that because she put the responsibility and the ownership on me. Yeah, she didn't say, oh, "Let me go and speak to the instructor." Let me go and find out. It was just a case of, well, what did you do wrong? Go find yeah. out. Because, you know, everybody else passed. My brother passed his grade. Okay, yep. yep. My yeah. big brother passed his. I failed mine. I think some, I mean, you, you and I, with years and years of experience and just other, other people that we, we, we talk to, uh, I, I think sometimes we have sort of, and I think this happens a lot, not just with martial arts, but rose-tinted glasses, and we look back on stuff. So I'm, I'm not going to ask you just, oh, what, what's, what's went wrong or what's worse nowadays. Let me ask you both of them. What's better now and what's worse now than when we first started in the, the early 80s? Well, see, when, when I first started, um, Taekwondo was effectively organised child abuse. Right. We were getting hit with sticks and, you know, we, uh, see if we got our feet wrong, we, we had to lie on our backs and we'd get our soles of our feet slapped with paddles. That um, never happened to me, but yeah. Yeah, it was that kind of training, you know. But when we went into the, the hall, the first thing that we had to do was sweep the floor because there was glass and fag outs all over it. Yeah. So, you know, the facilities are better, the, the training mentality is better, the understanding of our bodies is better. You know, there's a reason why at 44 years old, if I run too far, I can't walk for three days. You know, yeah. it's, it's that kind of punishment. I remember watching, actually, we were doing um, rising blocks, line drills, you know, yeah. high blocks going up and down. And he got out an umbrella. Yeah, and said, "Let's test, see how good your high blocks are." <laughs> yeah, it was Nicky Purvis who is training with um, Taekwondo Association Scotland with Liz McKenna on that. Right, yeah, it's actually him. He did the rising block and it bent in half, and the point end stuck in the top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do remember getting kicked if your block wasn't in the right position. Like yeah, your 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 ribs were exposed or whatever. You would, you, would get, you would get kicked. I mean, but I'm not saying you'd be half in you in two, but you knew that you had to yeah. make sure your block was right. Well, that's it. That, that, I think, is both, is both better and worse. Yeah. You know, because the mentality back then was different. When you looked at a black belt back then, you were scared of them because they were mental. Yeah. And... You know, you saw the punishment they could take and you said, oh my God, that isn't there anymore. You know, I think that that idea of of what you had to be as a black belt isn't there anymore. So you could say that's good and bad, you know, but from, from, from my point of view, I don't think, I think the removal of that has been a negative. The fact that more people are able to achieve it now uh-huh. Without having to get their head smashed with a brick or you yeah. know whatever it was you had to do to pass your grain, I think that is better. But yeah. I think at the same time it has lost that edge just a little bit. Um, 
I mean, I look about my own classes and we now have, just off the top of my head, without looking at the sort of names or figures, I would say that our adult class was 50-50 males and females. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like that when I was coming through. It was a, a young guy's thing to do. Uh, yeah. There wasn't as many children involved, even though yeah. I was one of those kids. Uh, shows would be a bit strange, but I know for a fact that there just wasn't as many kids now. Sure, we, we can talk about the fact that maybe the physical demands are, are, I won't say less, I'll just, I'll say different, but it's opened yeah. up to so many more people, surely. And that's, that has so, got to be a good thing. That is absolutely a good thing. You know, that, that is an absolute positive of the way that the training has changed and developed, you know. Um, the fact that we're more aware now of what can affect the body yep. and, and what can cause long-term damage is much better, you know. I, I, I far prefer to see somebody still being able to do Taekwondo to the best of their abilities when they're 50, 60 years old, yep. you know rather than being near, you know, arthritis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think there is that part of it, but that has, I think, you know, it's, it's very, very different. But I think if, if you look at the legs of even, you know, World Taekwondo, WTF, yep, as yep. it was now World Taekwondo, you watch the clips of the 80s and then they're sparring to what you Completely see. Different. Yep. Yeah, totally different. It's evolved. Some say it's better now because you know there's a lot more sort of spectacle, spectacle to it. Yeah. You know, you don't get the two guys that have been so so tactical. They barely move for two minutes. Yeah. But then it's lost that other element as well. You know that real blood and thunder when two guys are absolutely just going at it, hammer and tongs. Yeah. You know, it's lost that element because it's a lot more technical now there's a lot more there's a lot more at stake now this is this is this is this is my podcast and i can pretty much say what i like it's worse now so you're being you're being politically correct there and trying to be the guy it is it's worse now uh yeah i think it is to be to be honest i mean when you see when, when you see taekwondo demonstrations look more like a dance recital yeah i think at that point you have to say no you know, that's taken it too far. We, yeah. we have martial art and there has to be that artist, that martial element to it. If you remove the martial, you remove the essence of what you're doing. And, and this is some, you know, uh, Chris Cadelli went over um, quite a lot when we were down there and it's martialism and okay. understanding martialism, not the art, because the art is different, but the martialism yeah. is really fundamental to, to maintaining that tradition, if you like, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, that that opened my eyes to what was really going on in sort of modern martial arts, because it's not just Taekwondo. Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's all over, you know. And he was talking a lot about the Shaolin temples. And how you're saying that the I think it's the the Northern Temple has become a circus act. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it's lost its essence. Yeah. And um, he actually takes a group to the the Southern Temple. I think as he goes to, 
I, I could be mixed up with which ones which there yeah. though. Um, but he, he takes a group into that, and that is the more traditional martial art yeah. side of things. It's not this circus act that goes on to it. We, we, talk, we talked in class once about what, what always really annoys me is, and uh, people, and again, Facebook's a place where you see this all the time. You have someone uh, demonstrating just unbelievable physical acts, kicking and jumping and spinning. And you'll always get the idiot that will say, yeah, but that wouldn't work on the street. And you say, right, <laughs> I know, but that's, you, 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 you've missed, you've missed the complete point of that there. And one of yeah. my students, uh, who's in his 50s, we were talking about, so many people are doing martial arts nowadays because maybe we are a wee bit more clever uh, we we do understand the the health benefits and the the mental health benefits and the physical benefits, and he was saying, now, "Hold on a minute, I'm I'm happily married man, get three kind of kids now, a uh, respectable job." Uh, <laughs> the the chances of me being attacked on the street are so small now that if you yeah. turn around and say to me that that's the only purpose for learning a martial art is ridiculous because the benefits that he gets, he gets that benefit to him of, right, we're going to teach you to defend yourself on the street is 5% of the benefit he gets through training four and five times a week and staying yeah. uh, mobile and flexible and strong and healthy and all these different things. Yeah. There's a reason why full contact fighters the career don't, it doesn't last. There's, a, there's yeah. a reason why you and I are training for 30 odd years as opposed to full contact fighters that maybe train five or six years and then their bodies in absolute pieces. Yeah. There has to be an advantage to that holistic view of the martial arts as well, surely. Absolutely, 100% spot on, yeah. Absolutely. But we, what, what, People forget with it, and what and what what they don't and um, don't realise is that the martialism within that is so fundamental to what you're doing. So when you're doing your pat, and you're and you realise what the pan is actually doing, not not what somebody's told you it does, but what it's actually doing, you begin to understand why it's a thing and why it's there, you know? Just, just, just doing the, the move saying you're blocking a punch and then punching them back. No, it's a lot more than that, you know? Um, it's all about your biomechanics, about your physiology, about the, the mental awareness that you have when you're doing that, path, you know? Yeah. Breaking it down and understanding the fundamentals of it even is a mental exercise. So not only is it good for your physical well-being and flexibility, it's good for the flexibility of your thinking as well, you know? So that, that, that martialism is so, so fundamental to what you do. And yes, it is learning to defend yourself, and that's great. Yeah. Understanding the principles that underpin that are far more important. Like you say, that 5%. I mean, I've, I've been... Well, when was the last time I was in any kind of physical fight? You're probably looking at about 20 years ago. 
Yeah. Um, since since I was uh, when I was doing the doors. Yeah. Uh, that 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 was the last time I was on a physical conflict. So you know? people will look so, at that and say you're you're a nine times world taekwondo sparring sparring champion. Yeah. That means this guy's all about the fighting. And then you turn around and say, well, actually, I've not been in a fight right. in 20 years. So yeah. It, right. I think it's and important that we're having this conversation because hopefully it will help people see just what martial arts is about as a, as a whole and not just yeah. this, this one area it, of it. Yeah, it is a broad church. It's understanding it broadly. Yeah. And you will see it in all things, you know. So when, when I talk about, I, I, I work with adults with blind disabilities and predominantly autism. Okay. And we, we do a lot of work around sort of behaviour and understanding behaviour and understanding human behaviour and certain reactions to it. And see, my approach in that is a very martial artist's approach. So I understand conflict. I understand where the anxiety and the fear and the anger and the aggression can stem from because of my martial arts training. Because yeah. I understand it broadly, I see it and things, and that's where it comes in, you know. And it's, it's understanding that that whole life approach, you know. It's yeah. not just a case of bowing, grunting, farting three, four times a week, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much more to it, and it does it does go it does reach into your life. And you, when I'm working, and I understand people, and I'm learning about behaviours, and I'm learning about why people react in certain ways. Not only does that, not only does my martial arts affect that, but it affects my martial arts. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you learn that facet, you learn that idea that, you know, there are only four drivers behind all behaviours. And that includes somebody attacking you in the street. Once you understand that, you start to realise and it brings a difference to it. So not only do we talk about this, um, you know, the flexibility in yourself and your understanding, it's understanding people as well. You know, there's a, a big thing in understanding people. Um, what we do, what we tend to do is, as people is we second guess our own instincts alone. Okay. So much when you train in the martial arts, you start to, you rely on your instincts far, yeah. far more than, than, than sort of average dog, if you like. I remember watching a video and it was actually a, a guy who was, it was on the streets of Australia and he was running around stabbing everybody. It was, it was quite a brutal film to watch. Yeah. And I saw this woman, and she was maybe about 100 metres away from him. she just come round the corner, and she clocked him. Now, there was no way to know that he was carrying a knife or anything. Yeah. But you could see her hesitate, uh -huh. and you could see her thinking, that guy, there's something wrong here. There's yeah, something yeah. out of place. But she second-guessed herself, because you could see her going to cross the road, and then she's like, nah, nah, I'm being stupid, and walked straight towards him. Right. And ended up getting stabbed four times. Right, yeah. She'd listened to that instinct. Okay. She would have been on the other side of the road. She would have been absolutely safe. Yeah. So there is that, you know, understanding of other people that comes with being a martial artist. Yeah. You know, you start to understand things called micromannerisms. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever done any work on that. Um, you know, understanding the small features in a person's face and the way a person can change 
and what the, the, the signs and the triggers are to look out for. So there's all of that that comes with just sparring. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things, yeah, one of the things that parents don't understand sometimes about sparring as well is the one of the things that may either get you out of a fight or a, a sort of confrontation or help you manage that better is that that ability to manage someone actually being in your space. So one of, yeah. now again, we're putting all this safety equipment on kids and in adults who are sparring. But when you're standing a meter away from two meters away and there's a referee just about to say fight, that that feeling of somebody being aggressive in your space is an invaluable lesson for the street, probably more so than being able to punch and block and kick to, to not yeah. panic or, or just to react the way you probably should do if you're being confronted by somebody. Yeah, absolutely spot on, yeah. Um, have, having that understanding of what they're likely to do yeah. before you actually see them do it. Um, actually, it was funny because they did a study. It was martial artists and cricketers. Okay. Right. Um, they, they actually hold a very, very similar skill where they can tell what a person is going to be doing before the person does it. Right. And what it is, it's picking up on those micromannerisms. So for a batter in cricket, it's the way the person leads up the run or the way that they're holding a the ball or the slight movement in their body. It gives the brain the signals, right, I don't know what's going to happen. Here. Okay. And it's, sub it's subconsciously that we pick those things up. So we'll be looking at someday, we'll start picking up all these little signals. We don't even realize that we're doing it. Yeah. Um, and we're making this assessment very, very, very quickly based on these tiny little signs. The way I always describe that, see, you know in your hall, you always train facing the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens when you move and you ask them to face a different way? Yeah, yeah. What sort of carnage ensues with their parts? 100%, 100%, yeah. And that is because what they're doing is when they're doing the pattern, they're taking in um, points of focus yeah, and little subliminal clues that they don't even realise that they're taking when they're doing their path. Uh -huh. So I should be doing a low block when I'm seeing that window. I should be doing a middle block when I'm seeing that door. Yeah. They don't even realise that that's what they're doing and they build up this sort of proprioceptive understanding so that the relationship with themselves and the, you know, the space around them. Yeah. That is something that you pick up when you're sparring. Yeah. You know, so although sparring is sport, it's not fighting. You can learn a lot from it in terms of just timing, proprioceptive skills, understanding of your awareness, realizing what's around you. You know, and that that's a big thing when you're at the, the sort of top level of competition. You have to understand where you are in the ring. Yeah. Without realizing it, you know. So yeah. you know when you've got the middle ground. You know when you're in a corner. You know how to get them into a corner. You understand about movement and position, and you know, and uh, that's that's all very, very important when you're in the street as well. But it is completely different basis, especially when anxiety kicks in, and you know it go, goes your your front part of your brain starts to switch off, you know, uh, and what you're left with is pure instinct. 
and that's that's the bit that's really really difficult it's when you have to run just on instinct and that's what Miyamoto Masashi is on about in his book of the void yep you know, the, the fifth book and book five rings that's what that void is that is your instinct what is your instinct mm-hmm. and as martial artists we try to train that instinct that's the you know that's that that's where the difference between the sparring and the fighting comes in because sparring I can think my way through a fight. I can think, right, if I move here, he's going to move over there. If I do this, he's going to do that. If I do this, he'll react in this way. So I can kind of think my way through it. In a street fight, no. You haven't got the time. You're running on pure instinct. Yeah. I would love to see anybody, anybody, think that they can pull off an armbar in the middle of a street fight. Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah, you know, you could do that in the UFC, no problem, because you're thinking your way through the match. Yeah, it's a, a completely different set of circumstances. But again, there is this element you can take from your your, your sport and yeah. bring it. But that's only if you realise you're a martial artist that does a sport. You know? If you were, so some somebody's listening to this for the first time, or or or. Uh, or listening to you for the first time. Uh, tons of experience in Taekwondo and martial arts, competition, international seminars, a, 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 a huge career filled with, uh, filled with sort of lots of experience. What, what, would your, what would your message be about martial arts? What would, your, what, what would you want to share about what you've learned? Uh, to, to somebody who'd never met Stephen Gale and never never knew about you, just what would your message about martial arts be? Uh, probably, firstly, that they're not all as boring as I am. Some martial artists are actually quite interesting. No, they won't not. bore me to tears with their thoughts. Well, let me see. We're at, we're, at, we're at an hour and 40 minutes now. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the last couple of wee points with you. We're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about current affairs. Because we, <laughs> we, we might go to six hours. What would be your message what, what, to, to give out to the world, I guess? I, I, I would probably say that don't overcomplicate it. Okay. Keep, keep your martial arts training and yourself and your life as simple as it can be. I think we have this awful habit of trying to attach meaning to everything that we're doing. You know what? Sometimes it's better just to be there. Whatever there is, just be in that moment. Do what you are doing for the sake of doing that thing. Don't get caught up and say, oh, I have to learn this pattern or I'm not going to get to grade. Don't get caught up in thinking, I'm not the best sparring in the world, so I'm never going to win that medal. You know, don't get caught up in that sort of almost consumerism that, yeah. that happens in, in martial arts. Don't get caught in with that. Be open-minded, but be in that moment. You know, be... Um, the, one of the, 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 the masters that we trained with, um, with Chris Cradelli, uh-huh. He always said, be here. 
wherever here is, right, be here. It is really, really important, I think, in martial arts, you know. We do get caught up in this consumerism and we get caught up in that we have to have this and we have to have that. You don't have to have anything except your training, you know, just train for the sake of training because it's one of the most liberating experiences that you'll ever have when you let go and just be simple, you know. So in terms of that, that's what Yep, spot on. Uh, a wee sort of questions just popped into my head actually that we, we, we might actually end on then. I think that one of the themes of the, the discussions obviously been about you, you can get six degrees and seventh degrees or you can become a grandmaster or a single time world champion or, or a ninth time world champion and all of these achievements are, are, are all good and well. But if we take all of those, uh, all of those uh, tangible, I guess, things that we can or look at the medals or look at the stripes on my belt or look at that, let's put them to the side. And what's mm -hmm. left for you? What, what are you still looking to achieve 34 years into a, a martial arts journey? That is, that is probably one of the hardest things um, to answer because I suppose in a lot of ways it's easier because I just want to be a better me. Okay, yeah. You know, I want to take the experience that I've learned and everything I've learned previously and add to it. So my biggest thing, I'm always about what's next. You know, that's great, well done, fantastic. You've got that right, what's next? What are you going to learn? And I, I want to, I, I guess my greatest, my greatest achievement would be if I can get to a place where I can say, I'm, I'm ready to start learning again. Okay, yep. The, 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 does that make sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, yeah, because, I, I, that that that's kind of where I want to get to. I want to get to a point where I'm saying, right, that's that part. I've got it. Right, I want to start learning again. What is in within that part? So if if I if I get if I learn, say I, I know all the thirty GTF parts, but I don't know them. Does that make sense? So yeah. <laughs> I'm at the point now where I'm revisiting all the patterns and I'm looking at them and I'm looking at, right, where am I learning? What do I need to do? Am I here, there, you know, what bits? So that's the type aspect, but then I want to do the same again with the, the sort of theoretical side of it and the philosophical and all of that bit. So if, if I can get to a point where I think I'm going, right, I'm ready to start learning, then I know I've achieved. Brilliant. Okay, my friend, if if there's, any, if there's nothing else that you want to add in, as I say, we're, we're, we must be coming up in about an hour and 45 minutes. To me, that's a really good place to end. If you're happy enough to, to end it there. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for... It's really good to see you again, mate. Yeah, what was this? We're, we're doing this over Zoom. Uh, the, the, the aim was to, to get together, but obviously current circumstances mean that we can't do it. But yeah, it's... Yeah. This is, this is how it is to see each other nowadays. Uh, well, it is, uh, it is uh, but it's, uh, no, it's, it's, it's good to see you again. And it's, uh, 
it's nice. Uh, we'll need to not have it so long next time. Yeah. We shall do the second part of the podcast soon, sir. All right? We've we got a brooch on politics, are we? We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Mr. Stephen Gell, uh, enjoy the rest of your night. And uh, thank you for coming on. And I shall see you soon. Okay? Thank you, Kareem. Thank How you, sir. And uh, happy birthday to the three, man. Thank you very much indeed. See you later. Yes, Take sir. care. Take care.